you guys hear me? Okay, cool. This is the first time I've worn a headset that I didn't have to hold or something. It feels it's probably the thing making me the most nervous right now, if I'm being honest. My name is Elijah Swartz. I'm the youth director here at Godspeak. It's good to see you guys. Yeah. Yeah. I've had the pleasure of being at this church since I was born. I've been here forever. I love this church. We've moved several times. I've only watched this church grow, and it's amazing. Pastor Rob, you know, I don't know if you've been here long enough, you've seen and pick, may have picked up on the fact that Pastor Rob has a few sayings and jokes that he recycles, and he, he does them every so often. One of the things he would always say is that he has the gift to preach a church down to a manageable size, and lately I don't think that's true at all. The church is growing. Working in the youth, as of the youth director, our youth group is exploding. Meet new kids every single week. I'm pretty sure that's why they asked me to preach, though, this Saturday night. I, I think I have the gift to preach this church down to a manageable size. <laughs> I'm blessed, guys. I'm blessed to be up here. I'm going to share with you guys a little from the Word. We have Dominic, who's from our staff as well. He's Pastor Craig's assistant. He's going to share as well. Pastor Rick had the fun idea to let me share about our youth ministry, teach out of the word, and to also give Dominic an opportunity to share his testimony. Dominic works with me in the youth ministry, and it's been a blast. Just, I think, how long have you been here? A year? Like, almost a year. It's, it's been full of love, of God, of goodness, and difficulty. It's been crazy. It's been so fun. So I would ask, uh, I don't know if they are handing out Bibles. If you have it with you, I'd ask you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 3, please. Looks like they are handing out Bibles, so if you need one, just raise your hand. Usher will come and bring it to you. Cool. Second Timothy chapter 3. I want to open tonight correctly. Just get into God's Word. Amen? All right. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. But know this, that in the last time... Sorry, in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. And I'm blessed by this passage, and I read you this, because I want you to understand when I came to work here at this church, they didn't really tell me a whole lot of what I was supposed to do. They just said, oh, you're the youth pastor. You gotta figure it out. Pastor Rob's words were blank canvas. Just whatever you want, work with it. So I scoured the scriptures. There's no youth pastor in the Bible. It's not a position. <laughs> it's not, it just isn't there. So I spent time, I spent weeks asking the Lord, what do you want me to do as the youth director? What is your heart for me? Give me a heart for this youth in this time. This was before COVID. I didn't know any of this was going to happen. It's been a crazy season, but he gave me this and he gave me more towards the end. I'll share with you later. But realizing this, knowing how perilous these times are that we live in, we all know. We all can see it. The world basically shut down almost three years ago now. And imagine being a youth during this time. It's crazy what they have to deal with. It's, it's something we deal with and we help them with on a daily basis. We're constantly giving them God's word. We're constantly just loving on them. And it's, it's the best that we can do. We love them, we give them God's word, 
And hopefully they'll be equipped, thoroughly equipped for every good work that God has for them. Because going forward, it may get a little easier, but it most definitely will get harder. We all will suffer persecution. The Bible assures us, those who follow Jesus. So working in the youth ministry, God has just placed it so heavily on my heart. I need to help these kids get ready. More importantly, I need to help the parents in this community with their children. I need to help. It's crazy what's happening right now. People losing jobs. I see it left and right. I work here. I'm here all the time. We have people coming in for help constantly, which is why I'm so thankful this church is open. People can come here and and you'll find someone running around every single day. It's amazing. And just the precious, unforeseeable moments that we get to experience as the staff here at Godspeak, it's, it's it's just a joy. I love serving here. I love serving at this church. And I read that passage because I just want us to all be on the same page. Serving Christ is not going to be easy, especially now. Serving Christ in this time, being loud about what we believe and why we believe it, having a boldness to speak into other people's lives. We come here and we meet together because the Bible tells us not to forsake fellowship. It tells us get together, be encouraged. I would look forward to Wednesday and Thursday night every single week when we have youth group, just hanging out with these kids, seeing God move in their lives. It's a treasure. It's honestly amazing. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop talking now. We have Dominic coming up. He's gonna share with you guys his testimony. Please welcome him up. So how many of you guys actually care about the Super Bowl? Or am I gonna get like tomatoes tossed at me for talking about it up here? Okay, so raise your hand if you care about the Super Bowl. Okay, it's a good amount. How many of you guys think the Bengals are going to win? Okay, it's pretty good. How many of you guys think that Isaac is going to be crying tomorrow? Yeah, I, I agree with that one, and I might actually be watching the Super Bowl with Isaac, so if, I, if the Bengals lose, I'll make sure I get his reaction, and if he's crying, I'll post it on social media and make sure all you guys see it. Um, but no, on a real note, a lot of people sometimes, they, they hate on me or they don't like that I like sports so much. And the reason I brought up the Super Bowl is kind of a cool story. Who feels like the Lord sometimes does like little things to know, like to show you that he's with you? Yeah. So a cool thing about the Super Bowl is about four years ago was actually the day that I got saved. It was on the Super Bowl morning. And not only was it the day that I got saved, but it was the first time that the Philadelphia Eagles ever won a Super Bowl in history. And yeah, I'm an Eagles fan. But for our culture, it was something that was like, we're like, dude, the Eagles are never going to win. And anyone who watches football, they know that. But our whole team was Christians, and even when they won, they brought up Jesus Christ. But not only that, up three years later, which is a year ago today, well, a year ago on Super Bowl Sunday, my pastor, Pastor Ken Graves, do you guys know who that is, any of you? Pastor Ken Graves from Bangor, Maine. He actually gave me the opportunity to teach. He gave me the pulpit that day. And so the Lord showed me that time, he was like, I'm with you, right? It's exactly three years since you've been saved. And I got the pulpit and I was able to preach in confidence and it was an awesome thing. And now again, I don't think it's any coincidence that the Saturday before the Super Bowl, I'm actually able to share my testimony again and speak in front of you guys for the first time. But we don't have a lot of time because Elijah and I are both speaking, so I'm gonna just jump right into my story. Um, Basically my story is I was a sinner just like all of you guys. I had worse sinner problems than most people, but by the Lord's grace, he was able to save me from that. Um, I grew up on the East Coast. I grew up in a bad area. I was born in a city called Camden, New Jersey, which at one time was one of the most dangerous cities in America. 
and also the most poverty-stricken area in America. And so I grew up about 10, 15 minutes away from there. And the town that I grew up in, if you looked at it, you'd be like, oh, this is a nice town. But it was really like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside it looked good, but on the inside there was a ton of drugs. There was a tr- ton of, there was not a ton of murders, but there was murders. There was drug dealing, all these things throughout this town. So at a young age, like, I grew up with a single mom, and I didn't have a father in my life to really protect me. My mom was actually a drinker. She got sober right before I was born. My dad was a drug addict, and to this day he's still a drug addict, so you can be praying for him. His name's Dom Sr. But I grew up without a father figure in my life, without someone to protect me and really keep me out of trouble. So naturally, I went to the streets, and in the town I grew up in, it was like no coincidence that all the kids there also didn't have fathers. And statistically, it shows that if you have a kid that hangs out with other kids that don't have a father, they're 10 times more likely to end up in jail or on drugs. And so eventually that's what would happen to me. At first I grew up as a good kid in elementary school. My mom actually took me to church. She went through AA and that's where she was kind of introduced to Christ. And um, she would read me the Bible when I was a kid. She taught me basically the basics of it. And I would say that I was a Christian that I knew Jesus when I was younger. But looking back at the actions that I had made, I would say that I never really knew him. But looking back through my story, I can see that the whole time, Jesus had his hand on my, on my life. And he protected me through all the evil things that I would go through. And so I'm good through elementary school. It wasn't until I got into middle school that a lot of sin started to entice me. In about seventh grade, I started smoking weed. And immediately after I started smoking weed, I started selling weed because I grew up poor. I grew up with a single mom. At one point, she's embarrassed when I say this, so if she don't see, uh, see this, but she was only making $16,000 a year to raise a family. And like, I know you guys make good money around here, so I know you know that's not a lot. And so, like, they wouldn't even give us, like, help for, for lunch food for me. Like, we were kind of, so we were kind of poor growing up. And so I just wanted to, I sold weed to not only have money to, to smoke the weed, but because it hurt me to really have to ask my mom for money. So, like, in, in my mind, I justified selling weed And so I was doing that for a little while. But when you sell weed, you have to change the people that you hang around. So I started hanging out with people who were also selling heroin, who were also selling pills, who were also fighting, stealing, all those types of things. And so I was a good kid who played sports, good grades in school, and then all of a sudden now I'm thrown into a whole different element. And so I'm hanging out with these kids, and eventually it just starts progressing over time. I start getting the pills, I start messing with Molly, and all these different things. And um, fast forward a couple years, I'm still selling, and I had basically just a really bad year. So I had a single mom, and the person who really helped me my whole life and, and helped me grow and watch me was my grandma. And my grandma was the person that I loved more than, than anybody in life. And so she had beat lung cancer, she had beat heart attacks, she had beat a bunch of different things, and I didn't expect to lose her. And when she died, I was about 14 or 15, it really devastated me. And the only way I knew how to take that pain away was with drugs. So I had access to these things called Percocets. I start taking them. And the whole time I really noticed from the beginning and I had this hole in my heart. And I just felt empty all the time. And I had anxiety and I had depression. I'm like, the only thing that helps me is if I take these pills. If I take these pills. So I'm taking these Percocets. I'm still selling drugs. And by the end of this year, I actually, when I was selling, my house got raided. They kicked in the door, they arrested me and my buddy. Mind you, I'm 15, 16 years old. They kick in our door, they have M16s, and I got arrested. Luckily, I was a juvenile, so I didn't go to jail, but they put me on probation. And right after that, I was so depressed 
that I, I was suicidal. I actually wanted to kill myself. And so this one guy that I was selling weed to, he sold heroin, and I went to him like, hey, let me get a bag, let me get another bag, let me get another bag. And that was the first time I used heroin, and I actually fell out, woke up a couple hours later, no one called the cops, nothing, and I should have been dead that day. And pretty much from that point forward, it was off to the races. And so, looking back, after I got arrested, they put me on probation, and obviously when you're on probation, you can't do drugs, so they would drug test me, and um, I went in there, and I'm, now I'm a full-blown heroin addict, so they're like, you can't do this, we're gonna have to send you away. So this is my junior year in high school. My junior year of high school, I get sent to a program that's four months. So I missed the first half. They're telling me things like 12 steps to counseling, and they're telling you like, you're an awesome person, like, you're so good, you should have self-confidence. All these things that like, the Bible doesn't tell us, right? The Bible tells us to be humble, that on the inside we're rotten. Like, we need God to make us worthy, it's his blood. And so, all these things weren't helping me. And the four months was up, and by the time I got out, I'm like, okay, I won't, I won't do these drugs this time, I'll just smoke weed, I'll just drink. And that lasted literally one month. By the end of the month, I was full-blown heroin addict again, and they're like, you're either going back to another program or you're going to jail. So I went to another program. So I went there for four months. This time I'm in there, I'm like, just the weight of the world on my shoulders of condemnation, just hating myself. I'm like, how am I doing this to my mom again? How am I doing it to this ex-girlfriend that I was with at the time? How am I doing this to my whole family again? But no matter how much I thought about that, I had no power in my life to be able to get over it. And so I kind of sulked. I'm like, all right, this time I'm not going to sell drugs. I'm not going to smoke weed. I'm not going to do anything when I get out. I'm going to do the meetings like they said. And so that's what happened. I got out. I was doing good for a little while. And then all of a sudden, like, I relapsed and I started doing heroin again. And I missed probably half of my senior year of high school. But somehow, by the grace of God, I was able to stay sober for a couple months, make up the work, graduate high school. But by the end of that, Right after I graduated, I went on the worst, worst run of my life. And Isaac, you can bring up the first picture. So this is what I looked like. I don't know if you guys can see that well. But this time, I'm a full-blown heroin addict, and this run had gotten me so bad that I told everybody in my life that like I'm done trying. Like I tried the different programs, I tried the meetings, I tried the counseling, I tried everything that the world had to offer, right? but the world doesn't offer Jesus. So I tried all these different things. I had that emptiness inside me. I had that hole in my heart. I'm trying to fill those things with it, sex, money, drugs, whatever it is. At the end of the night, when I'm sleeping on my mattress, head on the pillow, I hate myself. What is the point of, what is the point of living? There's no meaning to this life. And so I was tired of hurting in my family, and I actually ended up becoming homeless in that city, Camden, New Jersey, at the age of 18. And while I was homeless in Camden, I was broken and humbled more than I ever had been in my whole life. I was 18 years old, ho holding up a panhandling sign on the corner of the street, like trying to make money. No one gives you money there. Like I was lying, saying I was a veteran, like just all types of stuff that like, just more condemnation, you know? And um, literally at the worst point, I was sleeping in a burnt out abandoned house on one couch cushion about the size of the top of this pulpit, curled up on one cushion. and. Man, I was just, I was done with life. And winter was coming around, I was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna end it. I'm either gonna jump off a bridge or I'm gonna do drugs and I'm gonna overdose. 
And um, I started looking back on my story and I just was looking at how the Lord provided for me and my mom, even though we didn't make that much money. I started hearing about how, remembering how Jesus died for my sins and how he can forgive me. And I remember telling God, I'm like, if you can do anything with my life, because I can't. I was like, if you can do anything with my life, then you can have it, right? And so I went to the Lord, I cried out to the Lord, and the Lord intervened in a crazy way. I ended up getting a really bad infection in my hand that actually almost killed me. And I was ripping and running for like another couple weeks. And then Isaac, you can go to the next picture. I ended up actually in the hospital. And mind you, when I started doing heroin, this is when fentanyl was introduced to the streets. So I've lost more friends than I can count at this point. And by this point, I had overdosed about seven times. I actually overdosed behind the the wheel of a car and somehow totaled it in the back of a tractor trailer and got out with just a scratch on my face. So when I get to heaven, my guardian angel's probably going to want to fight. But um, (laughs) yeah, so right here, I go to the hospital. I'm in there. And they're like, we got to put you on IV antibiotics. This infection is so bad, it can kill you. I'm like, all right, well... The real truth is I went in there and I left a couple times because I'm still trying to manipulate everything. I'm still trying to leave, go get high so I'm not sick anymore and then come back. Because even the painkillers they were giving me, which is what the strongest painkillers they would give anyone, was not enough for me because I'm doing the strongest drugs in the world. Like I really believe that Kim in New Jersey had one of the strongest drugs in America. And so I'm doing it, I'm not feeling better and I leave a couple times and then I'm like, this is how broken I need to be, this is how humble I need to be. So I finally come back and I'm, and I'm like, you got to be honest with them. you got to tell them you're a drug addict. So I told them, and they started putting me on this stuff to help me, wean me off. And I say all that to say is that the Lord really used this infection in my hand to put me in the hospital, to put me on these drugs to help wean me off so I could get a clear mind and realize what I was doing with my life. And while I was in the hospital, my aunt, she actually is a Christian. She's the one who actually really led my mom to the Lord. She's the one who prayed for me and led me to the Lord when I was younger, when I actually never followed Christ, who brought me to church all the time, told me about the Bible all the time. Her actual ministry in church was to go and pray for sick people at the hospital. So she came to the hospital, she gave me a Bible, she prayed for me, and she said, there's this place in Maine I want you to go to. And meanwhile, there I had a best friend, and that part of the story is way longer, I don't have that much time to tell you, but I had a best, a best friend to this day that was there who prayed with my aunt, they put me on a prayer board up in a, in a um, place in Maine, and I ended up going up there, and you can show the next picture. So my aunt came to visit me. She told me about this program. It's Pastor Ken Gray's program. I'm sure you guys have heard him talk about it. But this program in Maine is a discipleship program. It's not a standard addiction program. The whole program is wrapped around the Word of God. And this was the first time that that emptiness had finally went away. When I went there, I got saved on the Super Bowl, I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and then I finally had a purpose in life. And I remember the verses of the Bible that changed my life is, therefore there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ, who walk not according to the flesh, but walk according to the Spirit. And that was something that the world can never teach you, right? They can give you antidepressants and anxiety medicine, of course I'm not bashing those, but for me it just didn't work, right? I needed... Jesus Christ to forgive me. And that was the only way I was able ever to forgive myself. So I went to Maine and then I went through the year program there and I stayed there and I did a school ministry program. And the coolest part of the story is, is I guess how I ended up here. It came full circle, I came out with Pastor Ken and I traveled here and he was doing a men's conference. 
And I met Pastor Rob, and we were out to dinner, and I was telling um, Danny, his son, my story. And I guess Pastor Rob overheard it, and he was like, well, we're going to have Ken on our show on the Fireside Chat. You guys know what that is, right? And he's like, why don't you come on and tell your story? And I was like, awesome. So I told my story just like I did today. And right there on the spot, Pastor Rob was like, if it's possible, we want to get you out here. And so I'm here now. (laughs) Fast forward a year. It took a while. But a way to really wrap this full circle, because it's kind of like a youth takeover. All these things that happened to me, like can you go back to the... um, the one slide, the first slide, where I look terrible. <laughs> a little bit less bad than, I mean, a little bit more bad than Elijah looks. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, so just like the thoughts in my head, like hating myself and just completely not wanting to live anymore. Like, and mind you, I'm, I'm 16 or 17 years old. And when I look at these kids and I look at the music that they're listening to, and I look at the movies that they're, they're watching, and I'm not bashing any parents right now, I'm just saying, like, every parent is like, my kid will never be like that. Every kid, when the dare, dare people come to your school and tell you about drugs, they're like, oh, I'll never be that kid, I was that kid. I was like, I'll never smoke weed, started smoking weed. I'll never do pills, started doing pills. I'll never do heroin, I ended up on heroin. And I'm not saying that's gonna happen to your kid. I'm saying that when I see some of these kids, I have a heart for them, I have a burden for them. And I believe the Lord gave me this story for a reason, to be able to reach into their life and warn them, hopefully they're not as stubborn-headed as I was, and warn them, like, what's to come if you guys do not follow Christ, if you guys do not get on the right path. And so when I look at some of these kids, I see, like, the swag they got and the, and the charm they got and all that. It's real funny now, but it, it just reminds me of myself, and I, and I love each and every one of them. All the kids that are here today, I would die for them in a second. I would fight for them. I would do whatever. And um, even me and Elijah, like, when I first got here, I, I didn't think we were going to be, like, that close because I'm, like, way bigger than him, and he's small, and, <laughs> and uh, he's weak, and I'm strong, and, but, uh, no, we ended up, he ended up being, like, the good cop on the bad cop, but we're a great team, and obviously, I can't forget about Christina, she holds it down for the girls, and um, we just have an awesome team here, and we love the youth, we care about them. We're trying to get him more involved. We have a bunch of things coming up, and I believe Elijah has a couple more verses that he wants to um, share with you guys. So as he comes back up, I just want to say, if you know anybody in your life that's struggling with addiction or if you think your kids are or anything like that, I'll be up at the front. I'm willing to pray with anyone or talk to anyone about that. Thank you, guys. I was going to say a lot of nice things about Dom when I came up here. <laughs> was. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Honestly, his story, it, it baffles me because like he said, we are very different. I've grown up in this church. I've grown up in this city. I've been blessed. And I've been, I've been a follower of Jesus my whole life. I've not been a good follower of Jesus my whole life. Just trying to figure it out as I go. Just constantly getting into his word. And that's the biggest thing I push to our youth group. Because I hang out with them, we hang out with them four hours a week if they just come to youth group, and that's it. What's, what's going on with the rest of the week? I can't survive in this life without more of God's word in my life. And watching God build this youth ministry has been incredible. The people he's pulled towards us. I grew up homeschooled, right? Giant contrast between me and Dom. 
giant contrast, but it, the Lord is, I started this youth ministry here and I think I had five kids in the youth group total, five. And then there was one uh, college-aged girl who would help me out and that was it. And then over time, the Lord brought Christina from the whosoever's. And the work she's done with the kids is amazing. She's been doing girls' night. She has a night once a month where all of them get together, middle school and high school, and they do a bunch of girly things, and they have a lot of fun. It's a little hard to be in that room sometimes with all the balloons and butterflies everywhere, but I don't know if you guys have seen their videos. It's, it's precious. Ask Christina. She will talk to you all night about it. Dominic brings such an awesome element to our team. Actually, you know what? If you're in here and you serve in our youth ministry, could you stand up so everyone can see you? Do it. And you, yes. <laughs> uh, so. I, I am speechless. I don't know how to say how blessed I am that these people have come and just served in the youth group. It's such a blessing. So anyway, I hope you guys still have your Bibles open because I want to read you the last part of 2 Timothy 3. This is what the Lord led me to when I said, what do you want me to do, Lord? What do you want me to do with this youth ministry? He took me here. Verse 12 of 2 Timothy chapter 3 says this. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And this is the world we grew up in. Amen? This is... People are getting worse. <laughs> this world is getting worse. And yet, we're called by the Lord to be salt and light in this earth, to slow down this awful process that's corrupting the world, to, to be mirrors, to reflect God's light and his truth to everyone that we can. And it, is, it can be really discouraging because especially when you get out of high school, when you get into college, which I did so not long ago, it's lonely. It's very hard. It's very hard because you want... In high school, in middle school, you have youth group, you have all these events, you have school, you're connected, and even then it's hard. When all those things are removed, you're, you've, you're just a little lost. And so I asked the Lord, what do you want me to do? How can I help? And he told me, get them to fall in love with the Bible. Fall in love with God's word and the power behind it. And he pulled me to this scripture and he told me, look, they're going to face persecution. It's going to be difficult. And we face different types of persecution. Thankfully, around here, it hasn't been too crazy. I remember the, the craziest it's been was when we thought a thousand of us were going to get cited. Right? We thought. And then that church came out and they brought a thousand congregants. Like, no, we'll take it for you. That was incredible. Just how much our church has gone through. We've faced persecution. Absolutely. But even as a middle schooler, even as a high schooler, you face persecution. I want to read you guys out of John chapter 3. The Bible says this. God, or sorry, he who believes in God is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, which is what we celebrate. The lights come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. This is why it's hard to be a Christian. Because Jesus, what he does, he illuminates everything in our life. He shows us. The light and the darkness do not have a tug of war. Light goes on, darkness is gone. Everything is exposed. This is what Jesus does. This is what he wants to do. He wants to show us the best way to live. He wants to show us this is what's tripping you up every single day. Steer away from it. This is what's good. Run towards it. Have regard for it in the sight of all men so that they'll give glory to our Father who's in heaven. Amen? 
He says in 1 Timothy 3, 14, but you must continue in these things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. And even now working in youth ministry, I always look back to the times I spent in children's ministry and the times I spent in the youth group and had these people in my life praying for me, loving on me. I have so many fond memories of children's ministry and one of them that now that I think about it involves Pastor Rob. We were at their old location, Lavery Court, and my mom, who ran the children's ministry or helped run the children's ministry at the time, she asked me, she gives me the keys, she says, go run in there, please, go grab, a, go grab my purse, I left it in there. So I go run in, I unlock the doors, it's all dark, and I, I remember looking around and looking at all the classrooms, and I was like, I just looked fondly on all that time that I had spent in the class, learning about God, doing crafts, worshiping, the kids' ministry here kills it, they do such a good job. Walking around, it was dark. All the lights were off. And I looked down this one long hallway to see if there's anybody there, and I can't see. I can't see anybody down that hallway. And I'm like, okay, well, my mom's purse is probably not that way. I turn around, and I hear, what are you doing? I was terrified. <laughs> I spun around, and I couldn't see anybody down the hallway. And I was like, uh, I'm just looking for my mom's purse. I, I don't know what's going on. I just wanted to help. And I hear, who do you think I am? <laughs> And I, I literally, I was like, Lord, please, I need to get out of here. And I, I hear footsteps. I see a silhouette form. And I'm thinking, oh, that's got to be Pastor Rob. It's got to be Pastor Rob. And so I, I say very scared, Pastor Rob? And he goes, there you go, buddy. <laughs> I love Pastor Rob. He's such a jokester. And I, I love everything that he's brought to this church. I've seen this church grow in so many ways, and even recently in the youth group, it's been such a blessing. The children's ministry, they don't have enough space. They had to kick us out and put us all the way across the parking lot just so we could have youth group on a Sunday. It's amazing what's happening here. That's why we're looking for a new building. We need more space. We need to keep doing this. We need to keep seeking after the Lord. We need to be very aware of how hard it's going to be as well. We need to know that these are perilous times we live in, and we need to have a mind to raise up the future. It's, I love Pastor Rob Ford. He's always thinking about the future. He's done so much for this church. I could talk about Rob forever. But let's get back to his word. He tells us, actually, let me read you real quick out of 1 Peter 4. On the note of suffering, listen to this. Since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, the world thinks it's strange that you don't run with them in the same flood of dissip dissipation, speaking evil of you. And this is what we face. This is what the kids face. They're going to school. Hopefully they're getting pulled into homeschool at this point. But some of them are still going to school. Some of them still have friends who do not like our church, do not like what we stand for, and I hear about it every single week. And the persecution they face is, how do I stay bold in who I am when everyone else says I'm wrong? I know we can all relate to this on some level, especially with the issue of COVID, right? The Lord wants us to stand and to stand for things that the world sees as ridiculous, it doesn't make any sense. It make, it's beautiful, though, to see how the Lord, through Scripture, just changes us. Slowly, but surely. I love that we're different from the world. Especially right now. 
I love how different we are from the world. I'm going to read you 2 Timothy 3.16. He says, All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. I love the Bible. You know, my parents were very, very sure that I read my Bible first thing in the morning. Sometimes I really needed to use the restroom, but no, get in the Word. Just go get in the Bible first thing in the morning. Get in the Bible. And for a long time, I was, it was a chore, but nevertheless, I even find times now where, I pull, where the Holy Spirit pulls to my mind Scripture just from those times that I would read first thing in the morning. It's become my daily practice to get in, into His Word first thing in the morning. This, the youth ministry, everything we do here, this, like Dom said, this is kind of a youth takeover. I, want, I hope that tonight you guys understand what it is we do. We're here to help you as the parents to lead in ways that perhaps your kids would never listen to you, but to listen to us because we're not you and only for that reason. <laughs> That's how it is sometimes. And we are here to reaffirm what you already know, that God's power is the only way we can do good. And that's something the Lord has been showing me and I've been teaching to the youth recently. It's like this thread that runs throughout the whole scripture that ties everything together. God made us so perfect and we rejected him. We rejected him in sin. And then what happened after that is he had mercy on us. He gave us the law. He intended the law for good. He said, here's the law. It's gonna steer you away from what's bad and point you to what's right. But our sin nature is crafty, Right? It took what God meant for good and twists it for evil. And I have the best analogy to explain it. We were at camp very recently. We just got back from two different winter camps. It was so good. We went to Forest Home. It was amazing. So we're up at camp. I'm up with the middle schoolers. The counselors decide it's time to set, up, set some rules, set some ground rules. One of the things they say is, all right, kids, make sure you're not climbing on any of the roofs. I heard three children say, we can climb on the roof? Wait, I didn't, I didn't think of that. <laughs> and I thought to myself as the youth pastor, why did you say that? <laughs> Don't, if you, you gave them the idea. They were fine. Nobody was going to climb the roof. And now all of them are thinking, oh, okay, I, when no one's looking, I'm going to climb the roof. I had to pull a kid down by his ankles from climbing on the roof. That's what our sin nature does. God intends the law for good. He says, go towards this, stay away from this. Our sinful nature, like middle schoolers, looks at what's wrong and says, I want to do that. I didn't consider that as an option. That's something I'm going to do. How wretched are we that that's how we are? That's who we are in Christ. And this thread that I mentioned that runs through, that's just the beginning. Because when we messed up, God gave us the law. And even when we perverted what the law meant for good, Jesus came in flesh. He came in flesh to do away with sin, to remove its power. And then he rose from the dead. And after he rose, he said to his disciples, go and wait for the spirit, the helper. Go and wait for him and the power will come inside of you. And it did. And the church began that day, the church as we know it. And then the Bible also tells us, Jesus said himself, you guys are gonna do greater things than I. That's crazy. We, that whole story leads to a conclusion of we get to do greater things than Jesus did? We get to participate in his divine nature? We get to inherit one day what he's going to inherit? This entire world. And it birthed inside of me this love for God that cannot be touched. It's amazing. And I hope that us and our youth team are able to continue to do the same with these kids, to show them how God has transformed each of us 
saved us. He's given us power. Everything that we try doesn't work. (laughs) Our own strength, our own tricks doesn't work. What does work is God's power. I'm thankful to you guys. I'm thankful to all of my leaders, and I'm thankful for the opportunities God has given me for youth ministry. And I'm a little worried at the same time because I can look back on my life and I'm like, oh, God was preparing me for this time as youth pastor. I was in Boy Scouts. He taught me how to be a leader, how to rally people together. I worked at In-N-Out. I had some experience working out there with people who don't know Jesus whatsoever. And it's been a really cool journey. And then I'm here working at Godspeak and doing a million different things. What is God preparing me for? I'm a little concerned. <laughs> it, might be, it might be fantastic is honestly what it's going to be. God is just preparing each and every single one of you. And that's my encouragement to you guys tonight. We are not going to stop. We're not going to get tired. If we trust on God's strength, the Bible tells us we'll be able to run and not grow weary. Amen? We can run and not grow weary if we rely on God's strength and his power. That's what we're trying to do every week with these kids. Rely on his power. It's not going to be our cleverness, our personalities, or our own strength that can change anything. It's God's power who's going to change everything. So let's start revival in the youth. That's our heart. Let's get these kids to wake up and realize who they are, who they are in Christ. Because we're all going to face persecution. They really will. It's hard right now. Probably it's going to be harder later. But if we have God's power, God promises all things will work together for good. To those who love him and are called according to his purpose. We are called to youth ministry. Be sure of what you guys are called to. He's got a ministry for every single one of you. It can be discipling someone who's younger than you. It can be ministering to the family God gave you. Taking care of the assets God has given you. It doesn't matter. That's what I've learned working in youth ministry. It doesn't matter the status or the position. I love being youth pastor. I'll do this until God tells me to do something else. It's amazing getting to work in these kids' lives and getting to just see God transform me. He transformed me in a crazy way. I guess I'll I'll, I'll kind of wrap up with this story. I had no desire to be a youth pastor. Zero. I did not like middle schoolers very much. I would walk by the youth room at Lavery at our old church and I would just hear, "Ah," I would just hear screaming, things hitting the wall. I was like, ugh. I was like, no, I don't want to, like, oh, that's just so painful. And then I remember one day while I was working at In-N-Out, this pastor asked me to meet him. I get off work, this pastor approaches me and he says, do you want to be my middle school director? It's like, no. <laughs> I felt God in that moment go, hey. And it, it, I kid you not, time froze around me. And he said, did you give me your heart? I said, yes, Lord. He's like, can I change it? Like, of course you can. I hope you do. I hope you change it for better constantly. And he said, watch this. That's all he said. The next day, I found myself back at In-N-Out, and I, found, I noticed this ginormous bus coming in, and then piles of middle schoolers coming out. And when, in it, when middle schoolers come to In-N-Out, you know what they do? They don't pay attention when they order whatsoever. And then when it's time to pick up their food, they don't bring their receipt. They don't look. They're, hmm, this is mine. So working there, you're, you're dealing with a mess. You're just like, oh, my gosh. When those kids walked in, listen, when those kids walked in, I was looking at myself like this because I wanted to talk to them. I wanted to know all of their names. I wanted to love them. God completely changed me in a moment. And I was like, what is going on, Lord? Are you, do you really want me to do this? Next day, 
Pastor Rob calls me. Hey, we're going to have an opening soon. Do you want to be the middle school pastor at our church? Within two different days, two head pastors of two completely different churches offer me the exact same position. Lord, you're doing something. That's what I thought. Lord, you're calling me to something. And I asked him, just give me a heart for all the youth ministry. I started out just doing the middle school here. Now I have the privilege to lead both and to teach at both. And we have an amazing team here, guys. The Lord has moved in the most powerful way in my life. And I hope that our example will continue to encourage you. We need need prayer, guys. The people who stood up earlier, be praying for us. People come up to me every week and they want to join our youth ministry. And this is what I always tell them. You better be sure you're called to it. This is hard. It's really hard. Every week, I tell our leaders at at middle school and high school, it feels like there's this river coming towards us, and we are the few who are pushing back against it with these kids. Constantly, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, stop, shut up, shh, shh, quiet, you know? All these things. But that's what God calls us to do. He calls us to push back against the tide of what the world is doing. Please, be praying for us, praying for our ministry, pray for our leaders. We're going to be up here afterwards. Normally, we have a prayer team come forward, and we're here for you guys to pray. Our youth team's going to join you. We're going to stand here, and if you feel so led to come up and to pray for us, please, come pray for us. We need God's, more of God's power to keep doing this. If you want prayer from us, come up. We would love to pray for you. Find us afterwards. We'll tell you awesome stories. I have a million different in-and-out stories that I tried really hard not to share. I love sharing those in-and-out stories. I, just seeing what God has done everywhere, I just, that's who I am. I love to share. I love to talk about it. So thank you guys. Thank you for putting up with me. Hopefully you guys still show up a week from now. But I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I'm going to close us all in prayer. Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for your word and the truth it brings us and and that truth that sets us free. God, you have done so much for us. We rebelled openly against you. We continue to struggle, Lord, but you don't remember our sin if we come to you. You give us strength, Lord, to approach your throne boldly and to ask for grace. God, you've given us your spirit who convicts us of sin, convicts us of righteousness, and is ultimately our mediator as well, Lord. You judge us, Lord, constantly. You're looking at our lives, and God, you want to see us succeed. So in this time, Lord, where COVID is rampant, (laughs) where the youth are honestly struggling and families are struggling, God, we ask for all of us, Lord, an extra dose of your Holy Spirit and your power to discern where you want us ministering, where you want us working, what you want us doing. God, continue to work through me and through the youth team in our youth ministry, work through this, the worship band here, Lord, the staff, and all the congregants. Holy Spirit, fill each and every single one of us so that way this nation does change and our lives do change because it's by your power and not ours that we're able to do anything. Thank you, Lord, for the Spirit of courage you've given us, and not a spirit of fear. We love you, Lord, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name, amen.